0: 1 John 4, 9-11 reads, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one one another, amen. The word of the Lord. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Despite the cold, I know it's a little chilly, everyone has been talking about how cold it is and everyone's pulling out their winter jackets, but I love this time of year. Not necessarily the cold, but because for me, It's baking season. Melt in your mouth pumpkin cookies. Have you ever tried one? They are so soft and chewy and absolutely delightful. They're one of my favorites to bake, mostly because the aroma from the pumpkin and the cinnamon and the nutmeg and the vanilla and all that stuff that's really good for you, brown sugar, takes over our home when I'm baking, and it's truly intoxicating. I'm not sure when I became a self-described baker, but I do have the most fond memories of spending a lot of time in the kitchen watching my grandmother cook. She was an amazing cook. Things, everything just turned out delicious. And what was so like mind-boggling to me was that she never used recipes. And even when I tried to ask her for a recipe, she would say, um, just a pinch of this and a handful of that. And, and I would be like, okay. And uh, the truth is, is that cooking never ended up being my thing, honestly. I still, till this day, struggle with what to make for dinner every night. Um, Don't get me wrong, I have a wonderful husband who does help in the kitchen sometimes. Uh, Maybe about once a week, well, maybe once a month, maybe. (laughs) Nevertheless, baking, however, is what really brings me joy. With baking, you have to follow recipes exactly, to the exact measure, or at least know what you're doing when you don't. Otherwise, you run the risk of making a rock-hard vegan cookie or a a flat-as-a-pancake loaf of bread, and it doesn't turn out so good, trust me. That's from experience. But I've come to recognize that the reason why I love baking so much is because it feeds into my perfectionistic tendencies, because I'm pretty good at following a recipe to a T. But for me, baking also serves um, another purpose. It distracts me from my thoughts and the chaos of the outside world. I get to focus on the recipe and just, it just takes me away. And as a psychologist, I spend most of my days talking to people and listening to people. And sometimes it's hard not to take the pain home with me. Baking offers me an alternative to thinking about the hard stuff. But don't get me wrong. I love people and I love what I do and I love the blessing and the opportunity to sit with people. But when I, when I bake, it gives me a satisfaction like none other. It allows me to be and connect with people in a way that words just don't allow. For example, when I bake for someone who's celebrating a birthday, I, it's my way of saying, I'm so glad you're alive. And when I bake for someone who is sick and um, not well, it's my way of saying, I hope you feel better soon and I'm thinking of you. And when I bake for someone who I haven't seen in a while, it's my way of saying, I, mi- I miss you. And so baking allows me to express love and support and feel a real deep sense of connection with others. So, how about you? What do you do in an attempt to feel connected with other people? Do you bake like I do, or travel, or sing, or are you a part of one of our community groups at Advent Hope? Or do you use many platforms on social media, like Facebook? Well, I recently read in the New York Times that Facebook estimated that 2.8 billion people are on Facebook. That's a lot of people. And and, and 2.2 billion people use WhatsApp or Instagram or one of these apps on a daily basis, and the average time of use per every time you go in is 20 minutes long. And it's interesting because five new profiles are created every second. That's incredible. And my husband has yet to join Facebook. (laughs) But I recently heard from one of my clients that Facebook is actually for old people. (laughs) And I was like, really? Oh man, I guess I'm old. Ask any one of our young people here today, and they'll say, Yep, yep, no more Facebook. But my point is that the world is more connected than ever before. We have access to get to know people and to see their world and reconnect with people from our past. I remember when I first joined Facebook, I got this random Facebook request from a friend from, like, second grade who I hadn't seen in forever. We have access, and yet there was a, a study that was published by the Global Health Service company, Cigna, and they found that nearly half of U.S. adults report that, sometimes or, that they sometimes or always feel alone. That's a lot. I'd like to share with you some statistics that I found that you might find interesting. Oh, I don't know. Let's see. It's on. Yep. Okay, here we go. So, in this, in this study, they found that most Americans say they feel lonely, nearly half. S- sometimes or always feel alone. Two in five feel their relationships are not meaningful. One in four rarely or never feel there are people who really understand them. One in five rarely or never feel close to people. And one in five have people they can talk to. That's not a lot. And interestingly enough, Generation Z, who is that age group between 18 and 22, were found to be the loneliest generation. And I think that that's so interesting, because what they discovered, that there's this downward trend in terms of how lonely people feel. And as they get older, the rates of loneliness decrease. And in fact, the greatest generation, that of 72 and older, have the lowest rates of loneliness. Interesting. So these numbers to me, I think, are epidemic proportions. To say that half of the people sometimes or always feel alone. Loneliness though, is there's so many implications for these numbers because loneliness is not only making us sad, but it's literally making us physically ill. There's a, UCA, a professor from UCLA, his name is Dr. Steve Cole, and he is a social psychologist, and he found that social I- isolation sets off antiviral responses in the body linked to survival tactics, proving that our bodies perceive loneliness as a life-or-death situation. And rather than being a positive, this defensive response drives inflammation in the body that can be toxic. And as a result, people who are chronically lonely, they have significantly more heart disease, are more vulnerable to cancer, have an increased risk of stroke, and are more likely to develop neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Furthermore, another stat that I thought you might find interesting is that researchers have also documented that loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's a lot of cigarettes. And surprisingly, as I mentioned already, young adults are at greatest risk, but not because of what you might think. Many blame social media, for, for the, the, the higher rates of loneliness, but researchers have actually found that it is not a predictor of loneliness, that social media use is not a predictor of loneliness. Instead, researchers co- have concluded that it's the meaningful in-person relationships that people have with each other that actually keeps us from becoming lonely. In-person relationships. So, how do we cope with loneliness in this increasingly isolated world? And how does fellowship tie into that plan? Last week, Pastor Todd introduced a new sermon series on the four elements that the early church was devoted to in the book of Acts. The first one was the Apostles' teaching, two, fellowship, three, the breaking of bread, and four, to prayer. Todd spoke about the first of these four elements, the apostles' teaching last Sabbath, and today I'm going to be focusing on the element of fellowship. Let's read together Acts 2, 42 to 47, if I can get this okay. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and sincere hearts, praising God, and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you aren't familiar with chapter 2 in Acts, the 41 verses that preceded the passage describe the coming of the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus, who were gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. Peter had just finished finished preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and around 3,000 people at that time responded with faith and baptism. We learned that the first church was clearly devoted to fellowship and kept it a priority by being devoted to community, to life worshiping and spending time together, to expressing gratitude to God, and loving, supporting, and encouraging one another. Can you imagine what the world would be like today, the state of our world today, if we all lived in harmony, supported each other, and lifted each other up as God had intended? Loneliness most certainly would not be the epidemic that it is today. But in fact, enjoying the favor of all people is really tough. And it's even tougher when we, ourselves, are not happy. But the good news is that we have the power of connection at our fingertips to help change that. In preparation for this message, I thought it was only fitting to reach out to some of you in our community and ask you what you thought about fellowship. I personally couldn't help but wonder, has the church changed its priorities? How does Advent hope measure up to the example provided by the early church? Clearly, God knew that even today, we would need a reminder of how important a church community can be in meeting the needs of people who feel alone and connected. So what I did was I sent text messages to a diverse group of people in this community and gathered their thoughts about fellowship. More specifically, I wanted to learn how they defined fellowship and why they believed it to be important. My intention in, the, in doing this actually was to see if we could arrive at some universal understanding of fellowship. Now. As I read some of the responses, and I'm going to share them with you, I also welcome you to define fellowship for yourself, and what it means to you. So let's start out with the question I asked some members of our community. So the first question I asked was, how do you define fellowship? And these were some of the responses. Fellowship to me is a type of safe space where I spend time with individuals who are non-judgmental, encouraging, supportive, no matter what is shared. Individuals in this fellowship can be close friends or strangers who have decided to share time together with some type of common purpose, learning, yearning. For me, fellowship is being able to come together with people who have at least one significant thing in common. It involves sharing experiences, learning about each other, and through that learning, more about our own selves. Through those experiences, it can become a comfortable space where one can let their guard down and be who they really are without fear of judgment. Someone else said, I think of fellowship as dialoguing and connecting with a group of people. That connection and conversation could be deep and spiritual or light-hearted and fun. Fellowship is the intentional practice of living life in community with one another. It is a rehearsal for our ultimate purpose. I love that so much. And someone else shared, I would say now my reason for fellowship is based on hope and faith. In my younger years, I think it was more for socializing and having friends to do things with, like going out to dinners, shows, and travel. But through the years, I've discovered that it doesn't always pan out, and for some of those that did happen, it wasn't as meaningful. So I've matured in my thoughts and behaviors, and I decided to continue to go to church with the hope that those also attending regularly are my family in Christ. And like any family relationship, it provides you comfort to know you will receive acceptance, understanding, and support. The opportunity or invitation to participate and exchange similar interests where one feels like they can contribute some value, like in a relationship. Fellowship is taking the time to be outside of yourself. It means sharing your burdens and being carried by others and having people to celebrate with you. It means staying. And finally, Fellowship is when a group of people feels like home. I have to say, when I received these over the past couple of weeks, I was so moved by what so many of you shared, and it was such a blessing. Um, Then then I asked a second follow-up question. And my second question was, why do you believe fellowship is important? Well, on days when I have not had the courage to get out of bed, a simple text saying, Happy Sabbath! Hope to see you at church! was all it took to motivate me to come out and not skip out on that blessing. Fellowship offers a sense of belonging. I love fellowship because it allows us to connect to each other in a meaningful way, a shared intimacy. Helps us learn through the experiences of others. Makes us realize our struggles are not our own. Others may be going through similar things. It allows us to share, enjoy, one of the best things ever. Mine too. Fellowship is a way to fully understand God who exists in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God calls us to get to know him through fellowship with him and through fellowship with one another. I believe fellowship is important because if we are the church, we are the church not as individuals, but collectively. Many of the promises Paul gives in his letters are promises for the church, the collective group of individuals and not individuals. And finally, I believe fellowship is important, this person was saying, because it is a basic human survival need that we as humans have in common. So, what do you all think? Are you convinced that fellowship is important? Can I see a show of hands for those of you who believe fellowship is important? Yeah. From these responses, I I was able to determine that in fact there is this universal understanding of fellowship that actually is not very different from the early church. The belief that fellowship is an integral ingredient to every thriving community and that it should be kept a priority. Not only does fellowship mean being devoted to community but to also worshiping and spending time together, to expressing gratitude to God, to loving, supporting, and encouraging one another. Now, now that we all have an understanding of what fellowship is and why it's important, how does a church like Advent Hope help the lonely among us feel loved, supported, and encouraged? Fellowship sounds wonderful in its its ideal form, but I believe we can't really talk about fellowship without acknowledging the reality of loneliness and how it can serve as a real barrier to partaking in fellowship. For example, When we feel lonely, we often struggle with overwhelming feelings of insecurity and feel truly pessimistic about our ability to even establish fulfilling relationships. When we struggle with self-confidence and question our self-worth, this can prevent us from taking risks and even venturing out into churches. And even when we do come to church, we hesitate to show anyone that we're really struggling. The truth is that those who are lonely often suffer in silence. So instead, we smile politely and present ourselves joyfully and hand out plenty of happy Sabbaths and put on a facade of confidence and connectedness. Sometimes it's just easier to pretend to be upbeat and positive when internally we're feeling disconnected and alone because Truth is, we don't really want to get into it. And even when people do check in to ask how we've been because we haven't seen each other in a while, we simply shrug and share that we've been too busy with work or school or are just tired. And sometimes this is true. But the reality is, when we stop coming around to church, it's typically not because of uh, the worship style, or the, th- the theology being taught, or the pastor's beard. But it's largely because we're not connected to anyone. Maybe we convince ourselves that everyone has a clique to hang out with, and we don't. Or maybe we feel like everyone has it all together, is living their best life, or is spiritually perfect, and yet you haven't prayed in a really long time. Truthfully, sometimes it's easier to just sleep in than to come to church and face the reality that our relationship with God isn't that great and that our relationships with others is equally troubling and unfulfilling. And so Sabbath after Sabbath, we struggle with this self deprecating cycle of questioning our self-worth and wondering if we will ever be capable of finding companionship, social connections, and supportive relationships, even in church. And when we do have the energy to turn to God about our struggle with loneliness, we feel like God isn't really listening. Our interpretation of God's silence to our request further perpetuates this feeling of loneliness. And when we take a risk by showing up at church and potentially even attending a Sabbath school class or even maybe taking a leap and staying for potluck, we still wonder why we feel so alone. So what do we do with all of this? Well, in the world of immediate gratification, the truth is there is no easy answer or quick fix. But there are things that we can do as a church community and as individuals. We can seek guidance as illustrated in Jeremiah 32, 27 that says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Or we can see God's assurance is found in Luke one thirty seven that says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Or we can simply hold on to God's promises as found in Psalm 37.5 that says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So what does this all mean to fellowship? And what does fellowship really look like? For me, it's really all of the things that have been shared, that people have shared in our community and that we've been talking about here today. But it's also talking about the hard stuff. For example, when our church community addresses issues on domestic violence, health, sexual assault, substance use, spiritual wellness, injustice, racism, and so on. We acknowledge that these can all be barriers to fellowship, but that we are all working together to break these barriers down. The truth is is that the more time that we spend in honest, really honest conversations about our experiences, the sooner we can leave the facades behind and build the meaningful relationship that Christ really wanted for us all along. I also actually think that it would be really wonderful to encourage the sharing of more personal testimonies as individuals in groups or in spaces that they consider safe, who, of people who have really overcome significant obstacles in the face of adversity, that's probably all of us. These stories can serve to inspire and encourage and validate one another and uplift those who may be feeling discouraged and need support. And for those among us who are looking for fellowship, take a chance and access the hidden part of you that deserves true love and friendship. We need each other more than ever, and the world needs us. First John 4, 9 to 11 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love another, one another. We as a community possess something really incredible. That God made the ultimate sacrifice for us, despite ourselves. That Jesus died on the cross for every single one of us. And that we are all saved by grace. And we've been, cha- we've been really charged to share this good news with others. But we also need to take care of each other in the process. So I just ask everyone to consider some of the following. Catch your inner critic and practice self-compassion. We can all be just so hard on ourselves. Take a leap of faith by fighting the urge to isolate. Challenge the assumptions that you might be making about others and about yourself without evidence to support your beliefs. And perhaps consider taking a break from social media. Distance yourself from toxic relationships and open yourself up to people who are ready to encourage you and fuel your spirit. You know who those people are in your lives, it's time. Find others who share your passion. Music, reading, crocheting, cutting hair. And figure out a way in which it can help you connect with others. Baking is my thing. What might yours be? As a psychologist, you know I have to recommend professional counseling. (laughs) Not with me. But, <laughs> I only say that because I'm here for you and I, you always have access to me. But to really meet with someone and to have a safe space where you can really take the time that really all of us need to heal our childhood wounds and explore the underlying causes associated with our fears of intimacy and connectedness. And finally, Ask for what you need. Prayers, cookies, a listening ear, whatever you're needing, your chances of getting your needs met are greater when you make those explicit and you share those needs with others. So in closing, it's my prayer that Advent Hope will continue to be a spirit-filled church that loves God and loves others, May we always be characterized by the love, devotion, generosity, support that was found in the early church as described in the book of Acts. May God bless each and every one of you with abundant love through your experiences in fellowship with one another.